What is up, you sexy savages? I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by The Ox. The Ox is a short-form podcast produced by Auxoro, bringing you a daily dose of uncensored wisdom to jumpstart your life Monday through Friday. No bullshit, no topic off-limits. We explore topics like fashion, relationships, meditation, and more. For those of you who are subscribed to the Ox newsletter, that will be changing from a once per week to a monthly newsletter. I didn't feel like I could give the weekly newsletter my full attention, and I didn't want to send out a half-assed piece. So you'll now be getting it once a month, a more in-depth newsletter with reflections, commentary, updates, and more. You can subscribe to both the Aux podcast and newsletter with the link in the description of the podcast. This time, we sat down with producer Justin Caruso, who has toured the world with top acts like the Chainsmokers and Tiesto. Justin recently released his latest single, Good Parts, which is an absolute jam. The acoustic version is live now as well, so go slap that link wherever you listen to music. Justin performed at Moonrise Festival earlier this month and will be supporting Loud Luxury on their Nights Like This tour in October and November in LA, Chicago, Philly, and Boston. So if you're in those cities, go grab your tickets, come out and support. In this episode, Justin discusses playing Jaeger Pong with Tiesto, that's right, Jaeger Pong, studying music business at USC, developing an original sound, Fortnite, and more. Without further ado, here's our exhilarating conversation with Justin Caruso. Don't you recording this podcast from i'm currently in my home studio right now where's that at in los angeles are you from there yeah grew up here what do you think of la i'm, I'm always curious to get people's opinions of la that actually grew up there i have some friends that grew up around me in new york that eventually moved out to la and i've been out there once for an extended weekend so i didn't really get the full spectrum of things what, what do you think about la having the growing up experience out there uh, I love it. I, like it's home for me. So like my whole family's here. All my friends are here. So I don't really know much else than LA. Yeah, I've fallen in love with it. I live more on like the west side too, like closer to the water, which is definitely like a little more laid back than like West Hollywood, which I prefer just from like when I'm home from touring, I'd rather just like be home and not do much. So it works out perfectly for me. What parts of LA do you miss the most when you're traveling to other cities? things that might not be there probably just like i love like santa monica i think there's like something special about it also malibu there's just not many like cities like that and just like my family is like right near santa monica so obviously that's what i miss the most i was walking down santa monica with my friend basically for like four or five hours we were just kind of exploring that area a few months ago yeah and i wish there was something like that in New York, I guess the closest thing would be like the Jersey bo boardwalk or something, which doesn't even compare, but Santa Monica is beautiful. Yeah, definitely. I, and I, I love that, that spot. Yeah, it's great. So I thought a cool and interesting place to start would be 
your dreams to become a basketball player yeah. when you were younger. Yeah. I was doing some research in past interviews and you brought up occasionally that you wanted to be a basketball player. Yeah. And had some dreams derailed by injuries. And just to give you some context, I am a former college baseball player currently washed up. <laughs> so I have a little bit of, I'm 25. So I've been yeah. out of college for a couple of years. Yeah. So I have a little bit of experience with the identity shift of going from wanting to do something in athletics and then kind of shifting gears. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your dreams to become a basketball player. I just grew up playing basketball. That was like my dream. I'd watch the NBA every day. Like Kevin Garnett was my favorite player. I went to Loyola High School in Los Angeles, which is like an incredible sports school. They're the number one feeder of uh, Pac-12 athletes, actually. And uh, I specifically wanted to go there for basketball. That was my dream. And leading up to our like my first season there, my knee just blew out. And so like For I sure. didn't even I didn't even have the opportunity to play. So this was before freshman year? Yeah, it was so we had uh summer training mm-hmm. all that summer at Loyola and then literally two weeks before the season start, I got injured, my knee popped out. Oh. Yeah, it was tough. Um so I was, I was, ACL? It was my patella. So that came out and then um basically had to start high school in crutches, which was not fun. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's uh that's a good start for nicknames and people know, getting right? to know you. Yeah, it was perfect. So then I was just like had a lot of time to do nothing basically and I like always loved dance music. I thought it was so cool just like watching DJs play. So I wanted to like make like my own mashups. I there was this guy DJ Earworm. Earworm? Yeah, do you remember him? He made like at the end of every year, did he, he make, make remixes and like, like the yeah, kind of like the top fifty pop? Yeah, stuff. Make that, like, United, United States, States of pop, pop or whatever. Yeah, there is. Yes, yes, I do remember those. I was obsessed with that. I thought that was so cool how we could mash up that many songs. So I got really into like trying to make my own mashups. But then I would get like frustrated with some of the music. So I was like, well, I want to make some of my own. So then I just started to like kind of fall in love with it, and then just like wanted to DJ. So I DJed like every party I possibly could. And then once I was like healed, I kind of was just so much in love with music that I just didn't really feel the need to go back to basketball. Just to go off the mashups a little bit, it's crazy how big mashups were back in the day. I remember going through Camelback music, good music all day, like all the blogs, the top, the top songs would always be mashups and, and the good mashups, you couldn't even really tell that it was a mashup at certain points. It sounded yeah. so smooth. I remember some of the white panda ones mm-hmm. and I'm blanking out on some others back in the day, but wow, was always mashups good. were like everything. Yes. Blau yeah. with uh, dance floor filth. Yeah. He was yeah dude, he was that's, like, that was my freshman year of college. It was awesome. Yeah. That was, uh, that was an interesting time in music when the, when the mashup started to become a craze. Yeah. I love them. Like I still, I still make mashups today for my live shows. I still love the art of making them. It's a lot of fun. So did you start, you said you started making music. It sounds like somewhat out of boredom a little bit because you were hurt and were shifting from basketball towards another outlet. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I was just like using GarageBand, like the most simple thing, like using samples. Like, and I just like loved the idea of it. And then uh, a couple of my buddies introduced me to Logic and like got a MIDI keyboard and really like taught myself logic and kind of how an arrangement of a song works and 
all these different plugins and I just like thought it was the coolest thing ever. It's kind of uh, kind of crazy how starting creative passions out of boredom is a through line for a lot of the people that I've talked to in different creative industries, even a lot of business people. And I can relate to that myself because I started the groundwork for podcasting. I When I had a couple elbow surgeries back when I was still playing college baseball, and so I originally started reaching out to artists and, and writing articles because I was bored as shit. I was, I was on the couch going to night class. My schedule was kind of a joke my last year in college. I wasn't allowed to practice, couldn't lift, couldn't do anything. And so I just started writing down emails and numbers I would find on Facebook or SoundCloud pages and was so surprised when people actually got back to me. I was like, do people know you can just hit up an artist and I'll email you back. Like, this is sick. <laughs> and then... Yeah, it's amazing. And so I would just talk to them. And, but it started out of being bored. I'm like literally waking up and being like, I have nothing to do today besides being class at 6 p.m. I need, I need something to do so I don't drive myself fucking crazy. Yeah, definitely. I feel that a lot. How has your creative process evolved since the early days of GarageBand and Logic? What What are the sort of the bigger shifting moments in your creative process, looking back on it, where you might have hit a certain benchmark or did a certain song where you felt like you were starting to find your identity as a music artist? Yeah, I think at the beginning, I was trying just like a bunch of different sounds and kind of just having fun with it. And like, didn't really, not that I didn't like really care what song sounded like, but I was trying to like still kind of learn what sounded good. And I think now, now when I make a song, I have I have my folders of plugins and sounds I'm using. I know kind of like what I want it to sound like before I begin, where like before I kind of just like made it as I went and was just messing around with it. And I think it really it really shifted. Like I did a bunch of remixes on SoundCloud, which was incredible and like started to get that traction. But I think it really got serious for me. I did this uh, remix. It was like my first official remix offer and it was for X Ambassadors. For their song, Unsteady. yeah, it was, that was unsteady, right? Yeah, and the song's a jam. I love it. And when I when I got like the stems from them, I was just like literally listening to the vocal of it with no instruments, and it was just so beautiful. And I was just like, I knew right away what I wanted it to sound like. And I think from then on, I kind of knew what I was doing. I think that really helped me to like learn arrangement of music. And when I like make my own singles now. I love to work now around the vocal first. So like when we when we're writing a song or making something new or it's like let's get the vocal down first, just a basic piano under it and then I'll work on it from there. I kind of like to treat it as a remix almost. Is that a a normal thing for a lot of producers? Do they go vocals first or do they build the bed of the production kind of the foundation and then look forward someone or I guess maybe just kind of depends on what your process is. Yeah, I think it depends on person to person. I've like very rarely had an instrumental first and then like got a vocal on it. I've done it once and that was for my first single talk about me. But everything there on, I've like got the vocal first and then built around it, which I personally like to do better. Yeah, how did talk about me come about cuz I was reading that it was with another girl that was going to USC at the time. Yes. What were the kind of the conversations, the earlier conversations before you even 
went into the studio and tried to create it. What was the back and forth like between you guys when you decided you wanted to make a single? Her name's Victoria Zara. She's awesome. She uh she did the vocals on New York City for the Chainsmokers. Oh no way! Yeah, and we were both at USC together. We had a couple classes together, and we both we both were kind of like our careers were moving a little bit, and so we had like gone connected through mutual friends there, and we just became good friends. So I was actually working on a different song originally, and I didn't really love the vocal. So I just like in class one day I was literally talking to her. I was like, "Listen, I'm working on a song right now. I'd love if you maybe wanted to write to it and like." see what you come up with and she was like yeah and I sent her a song and literally that night she sent back talk about me and I was like I love it this is perfect so I like re redid the instrumental a little bit and then once that was done we got in the studio and she's so talented she like basically nailed it in one take and it was awesome so and then we've just stayed friends since then we're actually doing she's helped me write another upcoming single right now so she's awesome it's crazy how college is a unique hotbed of all these different people that come together. Like they're, they may not have much in common besides being on campus at the same time. So you have a lot of people that have similar interests and and you're running into so many people with different views. You can kind of just find someone and say, Hey, let's create a song or, or let's do this project. Even if it's not your major or if it's not something for class, like a song, there are so many times where I went to university of Richmond down in Virginia where I would, you know, collaborate on something outside of baseball or outside of class with someone just because I had some fleeting conversation at a bar downtown or something or a frat house or things like that. I feel like college is such a unique environment where connections like that can just happen. Yeah, it's incredible. I've met a lot of great people at USC and just like there's times now where I go into studio sessions and with a writer and they're like, you went to USC? And I'm like, yeah. And they would tell me how they went. And like, we know a bunch of the same people or we had the same professors. So there's definitely a lot of USC in the music world, which has been really cool. Just meeting a lot of different people that had a lot of the same experiences I did. Did you start making music seriously before USC or was it something that you picked up to the point where you wanted to make a career out of it after you got there? I started getting pretty into it before in high school. And then that was like one of the main reasons I wanted to go to USC because their music school is incredible. So I applied to their music school. And then once I got in there, I just like was really getting serious about it and like at the end of my freshman year is when I got close to Blau in like sophomore year. He was like, do you want to go on tour with me? And then that's like kind of when it started to get real. How did that relationship develop at the onset? Because he's one of those guys, as you mentioned before, that started kind of in the mashup groove and, and remix groove. And he's someone that I've been listening to for a long time. Like Dance for Filth Volume 1 was bumping at the baseball house back in 2011 or something like that. Like we were just looking up all these remixes. How did that relationship cultivate? We had a mutual friend and I think it was the night of my high school graduation. I was DJing like our graduation party at this kid's house. And uh, my buddy Nick, who was friends with Blau, texted me and was like, hey, Blau's playing tonight in LA. Do you want to come? I was like, yeah, of course. So I literally stopped DJing. And left that party. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> and just, yeah, and just went right away. That's um, great. And he took me backstage. And after Blau's set, 
I was that like annoying kid, like I love you. I can I send you music, like blah blah blah. I've always been a big fan, and he mm-hmm. was like the nicest guy ever about it. He gave me his number, and he was like, "Send me your music. I'd love to hear it." And I like sent him music, and it was kind of like whatever, not a big deal. And then I think I sent him. I forget what song it was. It might have been my um, "Until You Were Gone" remix, and he like loved it. And then we kind of just formed a relationship from there. And like whenever he was in LA, we'd get lunch, we'd hang out, and we just became really good friends. And then our managers knew each other. We were all getting really close. And then he was like, I'm setting up this tour in the US. We already have a few acts on it. Would you want to be part of it? And then just from there, I was like spending every weekend together on tour. We just got really close. Are there any sort of lessons or or conversations that stick out from being around Justin that have that you've been able to incorporate into your own arsenal of producing and DJing because he's a little bit ahead of you I think he's 28 yeah right and how old are you right now I'm 23 23 yeah so he not that age is an indicator but he got started earlier too it sounds like so have you been able to pick up on some of the things that he's experienced and can help you in a way to maybe avoid some of the things that he hasn't been able to avoid or maybe some pointers to where he says, you know, focus on this or don't give a shit about this. Yeah. Like he, I think the biggest thing he taught me was like being patient. I wanted like everything to start happening right away. And he kind of taught me like slow down just like enjoy it. It will come with time. We started working on a song together on that tour and I was like dying to get it out. So I was like, if my first single is a block collab or no, if my second single is a block collab, that would be insane. That would just take off for me. And I was like begging him to put it out. And then finally, like it didn't really work out. And we started working on a new song, which ended up being better with you. And like, I'm so much happier that we did better with you rather than the song we were doing before. because It's not nearly as good. And I think he also taught me like how much to like engage with my audience and like to meet all my fans. After every show on our tour, he would stay back and he would walk into the crowd in the venue and he would meet everyone he possibly could. And I thought that was so cool. So now, like after all my shows, I always try and meet everyone. I love to reply to everyone on DMs. I like, I want to be as open as possible to any one of my fans. I love that, especially because when you are purely just a listener or an audience member, you don't really get the chance to interact with people face-to-face or maybe even over DM. It depends what kind of time the artist is working with, how often he can get back to you. But for most of the time, if you're a listener, you're seeing the artist in a very small slice of their life on stage, which is the most fun part probably, but it's also a very small part. So I always respect artists who take the time to interact with fans before and after the show. And I'm sure it also helps from an artist standpoint too, because then you're getting to know your fans and conversational topics they're bringing up or what their facial expressions are like, or like how they're reacting to you. Maybe they even have opinions on certain things with the show or, or whatever that maybe you weren't even thinking about at the time. But I feel like it just builds the connection deeper with fans. Even if you might, you might meet 50, hundred people in a night with which some people that's a lot. Some people might say, oh, that's not worth my time. But it's making that connection deeper with people that are already fans with you. So it's like you're building lifelong connections. Like those people are going to 
go through your entire catalog, listen to you more, want to know more about you when you when you take the time to actually speak with them. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've had times after shows where I'm talking to a couple of fans and they're like, Oh, we wish you played this remix. And I'm like in my head, like I didn't even know people are still listening to that one. Yeah. So then like the next show I'll play it and I see like a great response from it. So it, I, I definitely do learn from my fans and like what they like best at my shows. Is there any surprising comment or anything that was just not expected from a fan comment after a show, before a show, or it could even be DM, something like that, that stands out when you think about fan interactions? I think in the beginning of my career, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my music. And I would like play shows and play a lot of other DJs' music and not as much of my own. And not a lot of fans, I would be like, you got to play more of your music. Like, we wish you played more of your music. And I think kind of as I've grown as an artist and the more music I've made, I've finally started to get more comfortable with that. And now I like play a bunch, like basically my set, it's all my own music. So that was something good to learn in the beginning. What do you think was stopping you from playing your own music early on? Was it the confidence thing or what do you think? What was your thought process behind that? I think it was my confidence and like maybe my music wasn't streaming too great. And I was just like, well, no one in the crowd's going to know it. And they're probably not going to like, like me playing it. I don't know. It was, I was just like a, like, really small artist who was just doing my few, first few shows. I So like I thought, well, if I come out here and play a, a big song that everyone knows, they're going to like me more. They're, they're going to have a better time. I think the point about patience too, when you were talking about things that you've been able to pick up on from Justin, I think people give up way too early. A hundred percent. Say you have a goal in mind. If you want to be a a musician that's supporting themselves purely on music or podcasting, or writing, whatever your creative pursuit may be, it could be something else in entrepreneurship, doesn't matter. I feel like if you're not willing to stick with it for at least 10 years, like, cause it takes so long and it might not necessarily take you 10 years to make a living off of it, but it, it might take you 10 years to reach some of the goals that you have in the back of your mind. And if you're 17, 18 years old and you can be playing stadiums full of people or, or at festivals or selling hundreds of thousands of books at 18 years old, that seems such an unreachable goal. But if you commit to it and say, you know, no matter what happens, I'm not going to give up for 10 years or, or 15 years. Like, I don't care what it takes to reach this point. I'm going to adjust and listen to feedback and figure it out. Then it, it does a lot for your self-confidence too because every single ebb and flow in the short term doesn't really get you off course that far as opposed to if you didn't have that long-term plan then if something didn't work out you might be discouraged and give up after like six months or something yeah a hundred percent i completely agree and there was like i would see these like young artists come out the song that was huge i was like god that's just like they just got that so quick that's so unfair but like you forget all the work that they put in before that or like with me like I got so many remixes declined by label before I finally got my unsteady remix approved how do you deal with getting no's because I'm always interested in what people's thought processes are behind getting rejected yeah originally it killed me like I was getting like because I would crush on SoundCloud and do great and basically on SoundCloud you were able to remix kind of whatever you want and just put it out 
where then once you kind of started to get into like the official remix that was sent to you by labels, then those go on like Spotify and Apple. And you would get like sent these songs and you, I got an uh, offer for Miley Cyrus remix. And I was so pumped about that. I made this remix that I loved and that just gets turned down. And I like see all the other remixes being played on like BPM. And it like sucks, but I think kind of as my career has gone on, I've learned that, well, I'll get another remix offer in the next couple of weeks or something else will come up. So I kind of tried to not let it bother me too much and just kind of keep moving on for it from it. But definitely in the beginning, it was like, I got like four no's in a row and I was just like, all right, this is terrible. And then the X Ambassadors remix happened and that like helped me push through. Four is not even that <laughs> yeah. bad. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that mentality obviously is working. You've had the X Ambassadors remix. I believe you've also had Martin Garrix, Chainsmokers, yep. Justin. That's some really fucking big names. Yeah, no, it's been incredible. I feel like sometimes it helps to put yourself in position to be told no, to almost ask for too much or maybe something that's others might perceive as out of your league. Maybe you have the talent to pull off a project like that, but others don't think you're at that ability yet, but asks for it anyway. I feel like sometimes that has worked out with podcasting. I know that, you know, if a, a ridiculous a creative or author or artist, someone is in town that I know their press is been booked up six months in advance. There have been very, very small opportunities that I've managed to sneak into just because I asked and I told myself they're probably going to say no, like there's no fucking shot. But I mean, what if their PR person is just in like a really good mood that day or someone cancels right as they're right before they read my email or something? I feel like putting yourself in the position to be told no can help you deal with the no's when, if they're coming on a regular basis, especially early on. Yeah, a hundred percent. What was it like touring with Tiesto? That had to have been crazy. That was incredible. That was like, um, when I met him, I was starstruck. It was insane. Like that's the king. The second man, who's just the nicest person ever. The rooms we were playing were like the biggest rooms I'd done. I think they're like five to like 8,000 people each, each night. But I definitely learned a lot from him. He was so nice to me. He kind of taught me like what songs are best to be played out, like when to play these certain songs, kind of what music he likes listening to right now and how he goes about like staying relevant and just spending time with him. He is like the nicest person on earth. And he like genuinely cares about music and like cares about helping up and coming artists. And I just thought that was so cool. Like, the first night on tour after our show, we were just in his green room and he's like, play me your music. I want to hear everything you're making right now. I want to hear what you like listening to. Like, Really? Wow. And he like really cared and it was, it was awesome. And that's kind of how our collab came about because I was playing him ideas and he fell in love with this one and then we just started working on it together. So touring with him is amazing and we still do a few shows here and there together. And it's always so fun. Just like knowing I'm going to see him like puts a smile on my face because we always just have so much fun together and, He's become like family now, which has been awesome. That's cool that he wasn't only giving you pointers on the music stuff, but he is also personally invested in the music that you're actually making. Because it's one thing to say, okay, here's some general advice that can apply to any artist. But then it's another thing to say, okay, open up your laptop, show me what you're making. I want to I wanna see it. I want to know what your thought process was behind it. So that's really cool to know that. Tiesto is like that. Yeah. And he's just so welcoming. It's like whenever I bring 
friends with me to shows I'm playing with him like they just right away become close with him like he's just so welcoming to everyone he's awesome is there any sort of specific piece of advice or, or maybe something that he does during the live performance that stands out that you've been able to incorporate into your own shows or maybe like a, it could be even a mindset or something that he shared with you yeah I think the biggest thing I learned from him is like no matter what's going on in your personal life or whatever else that like music is such an escape which I had like I had known that and I like when I play play shows that's like that's all I'm focused on and kind of all my anxiety goes away but with him I've seen him like in stressful times with his music and then he gets on stage and he has the biggest smile on his face and he's like happy and he's meeting all these fans and he's giving people an awesome night and I think like that really taught me to like no matter what's going on you get on that stage and you have fun and love life and I've like learned that from him like I've never seen him be up on that stage and not be in a good mood yeah it's like a celebration yeah 100% if you're putting in all that work you could be stressing out behind the scenes. You could be feeling anxious. Maybe you're not in the best mood. But once you step on stage, I always love watching the artists that are truly in the moment and are truly appreciative. And like they, you can tell who loves what they do. Like it's really obvious when people are just like, I don't know if not give a fuck is the right phrase, but it's almost it's almost like anything that happens right now doesn't matter because I get to be up here. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've like gone so into that and music has been such an escape for me, like with anxiety and just anything else going on. I reached out to Justin Schaffer, <laughs> who is the videographer <laughs> from the college life tour. <laughs> How do you know Justin, by the way? How did that happen? True Schaefer. Oh, it might have yeah. been True Schaefer. I might have wrote Justin. I was thinking of yeah. Justin Blau. Is it True Schaefer? Yeah. I apologize for mixing that up. How, how did you link up with True? He told me to ask you about a story, which I'll bring up. Yeah. But before that, how did how do you guys know each other and what does Drew do for you? So I played a bunch of, uh, there's this company called Prime and they host festivals in like the Midwest. So I was played a bunch of those and he was the photographer for uh, those festivals. So just from playing those, I got to know him, got close with him. We were like close in age where a lot of other artists there are like older than us. So then this Tiesto tour was in the Midwest, which was perfect. So I just hit him up and I was like, yo, I'm going on tour with Tiesto for five days. Do you want to come? So he came along with and we just had a lot of fun on that tour. It was great. And it, we like drove to a bunch of shows through the Midwest, which was like a lot of America I hadn't seen, which is a lot of fun to do. So I DM'd him and I said, because I saw one of his videos on YouTube. I think it might have been on your, your your YouTube channel as well. It was kind of a recap of that tour. Yeah. So I DM'd him and I said, Are, is there any moment or story from that tour that I should ask Justin about? And Drew just sent me back, ask him about Tiesto and Jaeger Pong. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So I will ask you what happened with Tiesto and Jaeger Pong. Yeah, we played in the, uh, put a show in Kalamazoo in this like ice hockey arena. And I think it was the last show on the tour. So we all just wanted to party after. So we set up beer pong back like in our dressing room. We had like two different tables and we just started playing a beer pong tournament. And I think after like three rounds, we ran out of beer. So we flipped into, 
she has so much wine on his rider. So we started playing wine pong, which is just <laughs> terrible. Like taking shots of wine. Every yeah, time. it just it makes you tired too. I feel like I get tired every time I drink wine. It was awful. So we did that, ran out of that. And Tiesto drinks this, it's like a type of Jägermeister. It's, uh, it's called Fernet. And Fernet, okay. Basically tastes like Listerine. It's so bad, oh. but he loves it. And it's like a digestive. <laughs> so we just started. So you're getting fucked up and you're helping your digestive system. So we just started filling those in every cup and it just got out of control. And just by the end of the night, we were just like literally on the floor. But that was so fun. And then like Tiesto left, but then he like came back. It, I don't even know. It was such a fun night. Like we were just going through so many different types and everyone was just like in such a good mood. The tour was done. We could just party. It was fun. But yeah, we have some fun videos from that night. You and Tiesto have to make a Jaeger Pong tutorial. I know we should. And show people how to properly <laughs> make. Should you do like a video series? <laughs> I know. I hated it so much at first. And now like, I just know it's like, we have to take a shot of it or it's not right. It's Yeah, it's good luck. Yeah, now. it is. To go back to the remixes a little bit, what makes a great remix? Because you've made so many good remixes now. What are some of the defining characteristics that separate the great remixes from just the good remixes? I think just making it your own. My biggest thing is like, I want to make the song what I wish it was. So, and, wow, I love that. Make the song what you wish it was. Yeah. So, if you're remixing a song, what do you wish it sounded like? And that's kind of what I really dive into. So, don't worry about what you think the artist wants to hear. Make what you want to hear, and they'll probably like it. Yeah. I think that was my biggest thing. And also, I try and keep some elements of the song because if people like the song originally, then they'll like your remix. So those are my two biggest things. But I think too many people worry about, oh, well, what's going to do well on Spotify or what's the artist going to like? I don't, I don't think you should worry about that. I think you should just make what you want it to sound like and what you enjoy. And I think people will latch on to that. The Unsteady remix is one of your remixes that I've had in, in steady rotation, among others. But I, I like what you were talking about before with kind of the hauntingly beautiful vocals, but then adding that upbeat yeah. aspect to it. It's like you get the best of both worlds because it's something that wants to make you move, but then it's also beautiful Yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, I love that one. I didn't want really to do too much to it. I think if I tried to make that into like a full dance song, it wouldn't work. I think just kind of keeping it minimal was perfect. Make the song what you wish it was. Yeah. Should be a motivational speaker. <laughs> no, right. Make 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 your life what you wish it was. A hundred percent. Put that on a gravestone. <laughs> I love that. So going into making original singles, mm -hmm. what is your process? How is how has your process evolved making originals compared to when you started out doing remixes? How does the foundation change when you go from making another song what you wish it was to building what you wish it was from scratch? Uh, yeah, so with like remixes... I find it a little easier because you already have like the foundation of the song. Like you, you know what key it's in, you know what chords to play. So you can kind of just go from there. Where an original, you're starting from nothing. So you got to figure out what key it's in, what chords you want to play, kind of everything you want to do. But I think it also gives you a chance to, which is awesome that you can tell a story. So I've just loved making singles because I can tell my own stories through the music and I can have it be whatever I want it to be. 
And I think kind of as my music's gone on, I think the more I've like learned to like open up more and be okay with putting anything out. So just like my last single good parts is basically like thinking about your ex-girlfriend and like trying to just think about the good times of it and not just like the only the bad times. And I think that's like something I've thought about a bunch. So I think just making my own singles now has been awesome because I can tell any story I want and I can make anything I want. Yeah. And that came out like less than a week ago, yeah, right? Or it week, was pretty, yeah. it was pretty recent. I saw it was also on the cover when I went on to Spotify. I forget which playlist it was. On Mint. Yeah, yeah. Mint. I, dude, I love that playlist. Congrats on getting on the cover, by the way. That's huge. Thank you, man. Yeah, that was a dream come true. Going back to Good Parts, can you pronounce the featured artist on Good Parts? Because I don't want to mispronounce the name. Because It's just Maddie. Maddie, okay. Yeah, she spells it a little different. So Good Parts with Maddie talking about the good parts of looking back on a previous relationship is really hard to do, let alone put into a song. It's hard to even vocalize some of those thoughts sometimes or even confront them. I've had relationships, some of my relationships in the past, I've been single for most of my life, but I've had a couple relationships that have been a year or less. So, and it ha- so it hasn't even been that serious, but then looking back on them, I think the way that you know that you are truly moved on is when you want that other person to be happy regardless of who they're with. Even if they're not with you, like if you see them with someone else and you're like, all right, at least I hope she's doing well. Then for me, that's like a signal that I've moved on. And so I like the theme of good parts, looking back on the the good times. It's kind of a double-edged sword too, because if you are still hung up on someone, and you're trying and, and you're trying not to remember them, your mind always selectively goes towards the best memories. So when you're thinking of someone, you think of all the cool shit that you did together, all the fun stuff, but you don't always remember the times that were either neutral or maybe negative. Or the reason you're not together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The reason you're not together, your mind kind of like skips over that when you're in that grieving phase and that just goes back to the positive parts automatically. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, when I, if I do go through a breakup in the near future, or I will at some point in the future, again, I'm sure I'll try to remind myself of the full spectrum of the relationship and kind of the truer picture of it and not just the positive aspects. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. And just learning from it and like what you could do better in the future, like what works for you in a future relationship. So how does one obtain the cover of the Mint playlist? Is there any sort of connections that you have to talk to behind the scenes? Or is it literally just an email that says, hey, you're on the the Mint playlist. Congrats. Yeah, so like everyone just submits their music. So I actually did this release independently. I'm like starting my own label. So I did that, which was like, couldn't have been better. Like I'm on my own label and I'm the cover of Mint. Like that's insane. Congrats on starting your own yeah, label. Thank by the you. Way. It's, it's been awesome. That's huge. So I got what is it called? Nine twenty two, which is my birthday, September twenty second. Coming up relatively soon. Yeah. Maybe another release on the horizon. There is. There is. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we. Uh, I got connected with Austin Kramer, who's in charge of all the dance playlists, like two or three years ago, and I just like 
always just been really thankful for to him whenever he does something or whenever he puts one of my songs in his playlist. And I've, I've like been so, I've been trying to form that relationship with him. And then about like a week before Good Parts came out, he sent me an email with me on the cover and goes, love your new song, you're the cover of Mint. And it was just like, okay, that's crazy. And I did not expect that at all. I didn't even expect it to be in Mint. I expected it to like be in Crate Diggers and make its way up to Mint. But to be the cover, I was like, I was in shock. I had no idea. I did not expect it at all. So that was incredible. So shout out Austin Kramer for all the help. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Austin Kramer. I mean, that goes to show too. You said you guys have been talking for a while to keep relationships and connections going and just reaching out to thank people, even if you're not receiving anything back in the short term, because you never know how they're going to feel in the future or what's going to happen. And so I feel like it's, everyone's always trying to do things in order to get something back, but just simple things like after a podcast, I try to always shoot people like a, a thank you for hopping on or, you know, thanks for getting back to me, shit like that. Even if it's really small, this podcast watch, I'll forget to send anything, yeah, all right. <laughs> but uh, you'll get a message from me like 10 minutes after we get off. Yeah. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like the little messages go a long way in, in the long term building relationships like that, especially with the playlist game where you have one person that is controlling what millions of people see and listening to. Yeah, no, it's so important. I just like grew up being taught like to thank people and, always be appreciative. So I've always made sure to do that. And there's like, I'll finish playing shows and kids will DM me and be like, Hey, you played my song. Like, this is incredible. Thank you. And I'm like, yeah, of course, send me more of your music. Like if it's good, I want to play it. I don't care how big you are. So that's dope. Yeah. So I hear you're a little bit of a gamer. I am. I'm a full on gamer. Is Fortnite your game of choice? It is. I'm obsessed with it. It's terrible. I'm trying to not play as much anymore. Well, what do you think of the recent collaborations with Fortnite and DJs like Marshmello? That, that shit is kind of out of control. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's cool to like see it all come together. I like I was fortunate enough to be on that Ninja album, so I've like built a little bit of a relationship with him. So it's been really cool to kind of see the gaming world and EDM come together. Tell me more about the tell me more about the Ninja album a little bit because I'm not as familiar with some of the stuff on there. How did that come together? This label Asha Works, under Capital Records, did an album with Ninja. It was called Ninja Works, and he personally selected. I think it was like twelve of us to be on the album, and we got to like make a song for it, and then it came out as a compilation. He like streamed it. When he, back when he was playing on Twitch, he streamed it on there, and then it came out on Spotify, Apple Music. So that was incredible. And then we all got to go play with him, which was awesome. I was like so excited to do that. It was funny because like some people on the album didn't really care to play Fortnite or know like what it was, and then I was like going in there so pumped up. I'd been like training, like <laughs> wanting to make sure I was good when I played with him. I saw a bunch of artists posting too about the Fortnite Cup. I think yeah, Alice in Wonderland was there. Yeah, Lost a bunch King, of them were playing. Tagala. I think Arl Grime won. <laughs> it's crazy. Did he win? Yeah, he won Jesus. like the, the like celebrity uh, pro am for it. Wow. Even if you aren't a fan of Fortnite, you need to be paying attention. I don't. I don't play Fortnite, but I still like keeping up to date on it like things with the the marshmallow set where i think over 10 million people yeah it's incredible. Into that. 
it's a huge opportunity to grow your fan base. It makes sense to pay attention to it as an artist. And I was reading that gaming, e-game, especially the, the, the competitive gaming, more people follow that than video, TV, and music combined. Film, TV, and music combined, gaming is bigger than all three. Yeah, that's wild. Which is, which is nuts. Like, that's fucking incredible. Yeah, it's so big right now. Are you working on an entrance into playing a Fortnite set or wailing your way into doing some type of collab with Fortnite beyond just the, the Ninja album? Not really right now. I haven't really thought about that, honestly. I've been, um, I've been talking Ninja a little bit. I want to like keep building my relationship with him and maybe do more together in the future. But as far as like actual Fortnite, no. I saw Ninja got fucked over a little bit by Twitch. He did. Yeah, it was crazy. When he left Twitch, yeah. I think they were just upset. They knew what they were doing. I listen to the H3 podcast sometimes with Ethan. I don't know if you you hit that podcast up, but for the more cultured gaming topics, things like that, I was listening to him talk about how once Ninja pieced out from Twitch, then they started promoting other people on his twitch channel which they don't do with other people and like and then they put and then they put a porn yeah Yeah, one the number one thing on his channel was porn for three hours they had it up there for three hours and ninja has a bunch of kids on his channel yeah i was just like damn the people that run twitch are assholes terrible and I'm, i'm assuming they had to know about that there's no way they didn't so to switch gears a little bit from porn on twitch i was reading that one of your favorite shows that you've ever played is with Justin Blau at Terminal 5. What made that show special? I love playing in New York. New York's like an awesome city. So that was, I think that was one of the last shows on our tour. And that was just incredible. The crowd was amazing. Like there's certain venues where the crowd gets there early. And I think I was like the first of three artists that night. So I I basically had a full room. I love being in New York. I think we're wrapping up the tour there. So that was just incredible. And I love Terminal 5. It's such a cool venue, just the way it's set up with like the different floors of people watching you. I love it. I'm based out of Brooklyn, so I hit up Terminal 5 every so often. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It probably is my favorite venue in the city. And like you were mentioning, the different levels and stuff. And it feels sometimes like there's way more people in there than there actually are. I don't know what, the exact capacity is but sometimes i feel like i'm there's like ten thousand people in there even though it might be like 1500 2000 3000 whatever it is but it feels so much bigger no it's amazing there i love it but yeah anytime i get to play new york it's it's always incredible so i was also doing some stalking that your some of your favorite inspirations are swedish house mafia porter robinson and avici have you seen any of these artists live and if so, what were some standout or memorable aspects from the show that you kind of kept in your back pocket? Yeah, I saw, so I've seen Porter Robinson and I've seen Swedish House. I never had the opportunity to see Avicii, but I saw Porter Robinson on his tour with Maddian and they were playing in LA and my manager got me tickets as a birthday gift and we went and watched. It's a great manager. Yeah, I know. Incredible. And I found it so cool that like not only was his music amazing, but the the actual show and like the visuals, like even if you didn't like the music, you could just stare at the visuals for an hour and just be drawn in. And I think that 
that made me like so serious now about like what my visuals look like when they come on how they look like that's like become so important to me and like kind of how they relate with the music that's being played so i learned a lot from him on that and as far as swedish house mafia they're they were just like when i was getting into edm it was they were like all i was listening to like what i was watching and they've like made music that's there's like it's like emotional and people can connect and like sing along to it and i think that's like kind of the music i've always wanted to make and what i have been making and just like like i remember i was sitting in my room watching the live stream of ultra when they played their like last show but now they're back but like i just remember having the chills the whole time like they put on such an awesome show yeah, sometimes I forget about Swedish House Mafia and then a song will come up on shuffle and then that's all I listen to for the next 48 hours. They're so good. It's crazy. But going back to Porter Robinson, I've never had the opportunity to see him live, but I've seen some of his sets. Yeah. And it kind of hits off of what you were saying with the visuals and his whole... He doesn't do that many interviews. I think I've seen like maybe one in-depth interview with him, but he talks about literally creating another world Mm -hmm. for people to walk into for the show. And I get that vibe from watching that in videos. And I'm sure it's even more like that in person. He seems very introspective and is obviously not really concerned with staying in the public eye because he kind of drops off a map and then comes back and then releases another project and then drops off the map. And that's just like his own thing. Yeah, no, he's incredible. Anything he does, I'm automatically in love with. Going back to music business for a little bit at USC, I'm sure that there are a lot of valuable topics and techniques that you have learned in the classroom. But being a touring music artist, playing live, building a network, making money from your music, what are things that you would include in the class that you haven't learned in the USC curriculum? Basically, if you were going to teach a down and dirty music business class by Professor Caruso, what are some things that you would include in the class that you think people should know that are aspiring to make a living as a producer that have not been taught to you in the classroom? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me I guess streaming is like still relatively new and a lot of the class as far as like learning like contracts and like money splits for artists and like labels, we talked a lot about record sales, which is like still important, but learning about like streaming numbers and how that money works and like the deals on that, I think is really important. So I would, I would really want people to dive into that. And I think also learning how, not only do money splits work between like say an artist and a label, but also like an artist on a song and then a writer on a song and then the vocalist on a song. Like not many people take that far back into it. And that's a lot of stuff I've kind of had to learn along the way. So I'd want to learn more about that and then just streaming as a platform as well. I think that's so important. But I think with anything, it's just like you're not going to learn it all from school. You're just going to figure it out along the way. So that was like the most helpful thing for me at SC was also like already putting music out and like traveling and performing and just like learning from other artists and people too. Just as a, an outside observer, someone who's just listens to music from my perspective, it it seems like there's so many ways to make money and the 
the monetary stream is split up into so many different avenues that it's so easy to take to get taken advantage of if you don't know what's going on behind the scenes or how contract works or, you know, how songwriting and producing is split up and things like that, that you mentioned. So I'm sure having a music business degree is an asset to where you can know if something's not right or your senses go up right away if you're presented with something that just seems out of the ordinary. Yeah, no, it's been really important. It helped me a lot taking a few of those classes. So how did you link up with Loud Luxury for the tour this fall? I actually had met them through Tiesto because they played with him a bunch. Were they playing Jägerpong? <laughs> they were not. <laughs> They're on the other side. It was you and Tiesto versus Loud Luxury. Yeah, I only met them like briefly a couple of times. I, I haven't really had like a full conversation with them. So I'm actually really excited to go on this tour and just get to know them better. Their management reached out to mine and asked if I wanted to come and I was pumped up. Yeah, I'm, I've never really had full conversation to be kind of just be in the same area and said, hi, like we know who each other are, but it'll be cool to actually spend time together and be on tour with them. They've, they've been killing it. So, Yeah, they're dope. And I'm sure, you know, you guys are going to spend loads of time together. So you'll get to know each other over some, some pong games of yeah. different alcoholic varieties, whatever they're into. So I want to respect your time as well. I have a few questions to wrap up that are designed as more quick fire questions. We'll see. In the past two to three years, what has been your best purchase or most valuable purchase under $100? Probably my in-ear Apple headphones. I don't use ear- AirPods because I think everyone just loses them. So I, and they run out of batteries. So I just use my, like my wired in-ear Apple headphones. And I take those everywhere to me with me so I can just like hear songs on the fly whenever I want. I'm the opposite. I'm an AirPods diva. I know. I think everyone is. I think I'm the only one that's not. I do have both, but I also bought a, another pair of AirPods that I call my spare pods. Yeah. Because I thought I lost them one time and then I, I bought another pair and then the other ones turned up. So now... If someone asks if I have an extra pair of AirPods, I say, "Oh yeah, you could use my spare pods," and they think I'm an ass, and they think I'm an asshole. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, what the fuck did you just call this? So the second question I had, second quick fire, is if you had to give a TED talk on anything but your job, so music. If you could give a TED talk on any topic outside of music, what topic would you pick? I would do this kind of crazy, but like science versus religion. I took a class on that in high school and I thought it was the coolest class ever. Like even if you're not religious, but just like the debate between what science says and what religion says, it was really cool. So I'd do that. Any sort of topic in particular or just a more broad science versus religion category? Probably just more broad. I don't know. There's a lot of fun topics in it. You could do a brief PowerPoint before a show. I know, right? Hey, hey guys, thanks for coming out. Uh, before we get started, I have, I have a quick slideshow on science versus religion. <laughs> we'll be like, what the hell? At Terminal 5. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the last question I have is, if you could put anything on a billboard in Times Square for 24 hours, it could be a meme, it could be a video, it could be a quote, it could be whatever you want, but it can't be self-promo, what would you pick? Oh, I know. Do you remember uh, Dunkaroos, the candy? Yeah. I would put like, bring back Dunkaroos because they're not getting made anymore and those were so good. I feel like people would stand behind that. Someone has to have a stockpile. 
Yeah. Don Cruz. Somewhere. Some nervous dude back in the day who <laughs> was preparing for Armageddon that only ate Dunkaroos just bought 50,000 boxes. They're out there. They're in the basement somewhere in Idaho or wherever. I think a lot of people would stand behind that. I like that. That's a good message. Dunkaroos. Look out for the next single, Dunkaroos by Justin Caruso. Dunkarooso. (laughs) (laughs) You you can make an alter ego like Porter Robinson. Yeah. Justin Caruso, Dunkaroos. No one will know. Yeah, no one will pick up on it. All right, man. Well, again, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Justin Caruso. His latest release, Good Parts, is out right now, which you can stream anywhere you listen to music. Link in the podcast description as well. Also, if you are in Chicago, Philly, LA, or Boston, go cop tickets for Loud Luxury and Justin Caruso on the nights like this tour. It's going to be a hell of a show, and why not? Go with your crew, dance the night away, maybe mix in a drunk makeout or three, make some memories. Link in bio for tickets. And if you would be so kind, hit up the iTunes store to leave us a five-star rating and comment on the Augsoro podcast. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about these conversations. We are grateful for each and every one of you that tunes into the podcast. And I'm going to do this until I'm no longer breathing and you guys give me the motivation to keep going. So have a wonderful week, weekend, whenever you're listening to this. Until next time.